Well, again, greetings, and uh, great to open God's Word with you here today. A uh, special day for us as we are uh, uh, pushing the church outside and uh, doing so with the services and children's ministry and picnicking, and uh, I think we might look back someday on some of these sort of things and say, those were great days. Don't you remember those days? And don't we all hope we can say that? Uh, we'll see. Um, but I'm excited about today and opportunity even now to open God's Word with you and to uh, explore a little bit more in this series that we are, are doing on discovering or rediscovering what it means to follow Jesus at Bethel Church, to talk about some of these core values. And we've talked about uh, the, the, the Bethel's a Bible church and that we build our ministry on on uh, the Bible, we've talked about worship and mission. Next week, we're gonna talk about community, that we're called to be a community. Today, though, we're talking about service and what it means to serve King Jesus. And the astonishing reality as a Christian is that our, our service of King Jesus begins with the fact that he served us, that King Jesus served us, and that should be shocking. I mean, in, in the kingdom of man, kings don't serve, kings are served, and castles and palaces are filled with servants who are there to, to meet every need or whim that the king has. And that's just a puny human king. We're talking here about Jesus. We're talking about the highest king, indeed the king of kings, Jesus. It is this high king, the last king, that we would expect to serve anybody is the very king who served us. But this is the paradox and the wonder of service in the kingdom of God. The greatest citizen in the kingdom of God is the greatest servant in the kingdom of God. There is no greater servant in the kingdom than the king. And we'll get into that here in a moment. So let's explore together today what it means to serve King Jesus, what it means to be, uh, as a follower of Jesus, a citizen of the kingdom of God, and to have this incredible privilege to offer our service to King Jesus. And today we're gonna look at it from the, uh, through the grid of the example, the enablement, the expression, and the effect. And the net result here, I hope, is a renewed vision in our church, and indeed in your life, mine as well, to what it means to serve the one who served us the best and the most, Jesus Christ. So we're in Mark uh, chapter 9 and 10. We're going to begin in 9. And there are two stories that really flow into one another that has to do with the disciples and Jesus. And we're beginning in chapter 9, verse 33. Give you just a moment. That's pastors do that. They take a deep breath to give you a moment to find your spot. Now that you're there, I'm going to begin. Verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? In other words, what were you discussing as we were uh, walking along and traveling? But they, the disciples, kept silent, for on the way they had argued, note the word argued, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. 
You know, sometimes the disciples were just plain embarrassing, weren't they? I mean, and this is, this is one of, this top five, like, embarrassing moment for the disciples. They're walking along the road, and who are they walking with? They're walking along with the greatest. They're walking along with the Son of God. And as they're walking, they're quietly debating, probably walking behind him, which was the practice of the day. Disciples would walk behind their rabbi. And they're quietly having this little discussion amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest or which one of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of Jesus. You know, just as a way to pass time, some of you play the ABC game as you travel. These disciples were playing the, hey, which one of us is the greatest? And by the way, they're not arguing. I think, you know, Peter didn't say, John, I think you're the greatest. And John didn't go, oh, no, Peter, I think you're the greatest. No, they're arguing for their own greatness, each one of them, thinking that they are indeed the greatest. And again, it's not a conversation, it's an argument. There's emotion behind this. They are into it. And we note in the context that this is in the same chapter, we don't know how long after, but in chapter 9, we have the transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John are there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see the Shekinah glory of Jesus. They hear God the Father thunder from heaven, this is my beloved son. You would think that that kind of an experience would put a little humility in their heart. But it didn't. It didn't. A few verses later, they are making their best case for their own greatness and their own exalted place in Jesus' kingdom. And so they get to uh, Capernaum, and Jesus calls them out on it, and he says, now tell me, what, what were you talking about there on the, on the road? What were you discussing together? And the text says, but they kept silent, okay? Silent. They knew in that moment, oh, the gig is up. Like, he is totally calling us out on the carpet right now, and they're looking for a little rock to, to hide under, right? A little, a little place that they could go to. They're embarrassed, okay? They're embarrassed. Verse 35, and he sat down, and this is what Jesus would often do when he would teach. He sits down, he calls the 12. Okay, everybody come over here, let's have a little talk, okay? And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all, okay? Who is first in the kingdom? It's gonna be the one who is apparently Last, and he gives the definition of what last is here. It's not chronology, it is a posture of servanthood. The one who is the servant of all is the greatest of all in the kingdom. We have a parallel passage in Matthew. Here's how Matthew says it The greatest among you shall be your servant. Okay, to be your servant. So get this to be first, you have to be last. To be great, you have to be a servant. I mean, this sounds like opposite day, doesn't it? These are apparently oxymorons. Like, what do you mean the greatest is the servant and the first is the last? I mean, it's just sort of like blatant contradictions to the norm, or at least we would say as human beings, blatant contradictions to the kingdom that we're living in, the kingdom of man. How is greatness servitude? How is firstness lastness here? And what Jesus is trying to help us understand here is he wants us to see reality. We live in the mirage of the kingdom of man where we think that greatness is to be served. But Jesus is telling us this is the way that God sees it. And of course the way God sees it is the way that it is. 
And in the eyes of God, greatness is to be servant of all. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know this because this is what is true in the Godhead, from whom all truth flows. Within the Godhead, within the triune Godhead, what is greatness? How do they view greatness within their own relationships? Well, we know it isn't this way. We know that God the Father doesn't lord it over the Son and the Spirit, like, ha-ha, I'm better than you. We know that the Son and the Spirit aren't secretly, subvertingly trying to uh, you know, take down God the Father and take his place. There's no civil war within the Trinity. Their glorious perfections are expressed in their service to one another. So within the Godhead, always been, always will be, God the Father shows his servanthood by being the leader. The Son displays his servanthood by being obedient and submissive to the Father. The Spirit shows his desire to serve the Father and the Son by being the active agent in the purposes of God. Their starting point within the Godhead, within the Trinity is, like they wake up every morning, they don't wake up, this is God, but just to say it this way, they wake up every morning and they think to themselves, how can I bring joy to the Father? No, how can I bring joy to the other members of the Trinity? How can I serve them today? This basic selflessness is the source of all divine love. It is what love is, actually, is, is selfless giving for the, for the joy of other people. But how do we actually do it? We serve them, okay? We serve them. So Jesus comes to the kingdom of man and all of its org charts and all of its pecking orders and dares to say the servant around here is actually the greatest person in the room. The greater the service, the greater the person. Now the disciples didn't, of course, get this, and we don't get it mostly either, except right now during a sermon on it where we nod our head and we say, yes, 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 and within a week or two, we're right back to you know, arguing about our own greatness, okay? But Jesus is emphasizing this for us, and the story now continues a few verses later. Here's how we know the disciples didn't get it, okay? They didn't get it. Now, just one chapter later, go to chapter 10, verse 35. We pick up the story. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, this is Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Is that not a summary of 99% of our prayers that we offer to God? God, I want you to do what I want you to do. Okay, so we can resonate with this, uh, this heart and this request. Okay, well, well, what is it that you're wanting to do? Look at this brazen ambition from James and John. Verse 36, and he said to them, uh, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Such a small request. All we're asking Jesus is that forever and ever and ever and ever we want to reside in the number two and the number three place in the entire kingdom. We want to be at your right and we want to be at your left. And you can almost hear James and John before the conversation, hey, are you going to try to be at the right hand or am I going to try to be at the left hand? No, I get to be the right hand. He likes me more. I'm the one he loves, you know, and James, I'm the brother, you know, all this stuff going on. Who knows? But you get what they're asking. They are asking Jesus to promise them 
that they themselves will reside in the highest possible human place of honor and glory that there is. The right hand of Jesus, the left hand of Jesus, not for a photo op, but forever and ever, time without end. Talk about brazen. Well, here's Jesus' response, verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Massive understatement, right? You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Okay, again, they have no idea what they're talking about. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now time doesn't allow us to actually trace forward the story of how James and John did drink from the cup and were baptized with Jesus' baptism and the sufferings that they endured uh, later on. Okay? The focus, though, turns on to the other ten disciples now who hear about what, G- what James and John had asked Jesus. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, okay, ten, so 12 disciples, 12 minus 2 is 10. These are the remaining disciples. The 10 heard it. They began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, the disciples hear what James and John have done, and they are indignant. Now, we're not told why they're indignant. It could be that they thought that was such an inappropriate request. More likely, they are indignant because they didn't think to go to him before James and John did. Knowing these disciples, they're like, I, I, I think I should have been the one who talked to him about being at the right and the left. We don't know for sure. But we see the driving ambition to advance themselves in the kingdom of God. We see the, uh, I don't know, the, the awkwardly and embarrassing reality of the kingdom of self when it intersects with the values and the ethics of the kingdom of God. Hmm. Now we need to give the disciples some grace here, I think, because this is prior to the cross, this is prior to Pentecost. I mean, arguably, none of them are actually saved at this point, okay? So they are just operating according to the flesh. Uh, We give them a little grace for that. But even saying that they're unbelievers, we have to acknowledge this looks more like a backstabbing reality TV show than a Christian small group. Jesus repeats the ethic in the kingdom of God. Greatness is servanthood. And to prove it, he says, even the Son of Man. Now, who's he talking about here? He's talking about himself. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's talk about that, okay? And let's talk about service in the kingdom of God. Here we begin now with the example that all of us 
are to follow. The example is our servant king, even the son of man, even, even me, he's saying. Even I didn't come here for you all to serve me. I came, I came to uh, serve you. And we see in this that Jesus is setting the example of what actual greatness is by setting the example of service, okay? He didn't come into this world to lord his authority, although he could have. He didn't come to show off his power, although he could have. He didn't come to impress us, although he could have. He came to serve us. Get that. The highest king. We're not talking about Duke this or Lord that. We're talking about the highest king, the king of kings. He comes and he assumes the lowest possible place. And from that position of lowliness and meekness, determines to serve us and to give his life as a ransom for many. I wonder today, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you view greatness? Like in your mind, who's awesome? Like what's, what is, that is so incredible. And do you aspire to greatness? Are you an ambitious person? A quick summary of social media after, uh, what, 10 years on Facebook, I would say, that I've had. Here's my quick summary of social media. Would be very ordinary people trying to convince other very ordinary people that they themselves are extraordinary. And if not they themselves, then certainly they're extraordinary children. It reminds me of my very favorite Winston Churchill quote, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Winston Churchill guy, so uh, this is saying something. This is my favorite Winston Churchill quote. He said, he said this, I gotta get it right. He said, uh, all men are worms, but I do believe that I am a glowworm. If you go to London and you go down into the, uh, you can go down and see where they actually ran 